Welcome, welcome. This is maybe the last podcast of the year. I know we're a little bit late. We've been late lately. Um, you know, things come up. I had a little family thing pop up this week, but everything's good. We are back. We are going to review the Frank Martin card before we get into the year and awards. And let me just give you um, a warning right now. We're not going to do the standard awards. You know, everyone does that. We don't want to really repeat. Maybe we'll run through really quickly who our picks are, but we're going to try to think of like some more unique awards to give out because I think and Lex, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think it's a lot more fun to reminisce on like all the things that happened this year that we might have forgot, uh, might have forgotten. And let's give out awards that kind of like put together a picture of this year. But before we get to all of that, let's talk about Frank Martin versus Michelle Rivera. You had Frank Martin coming in as the B side, but the favorite, slight favorite at least, against the spawn of Muhammad Ali one Michelle Rivera. Muhammad Ali did spend some time in the Dominican Republic in the late... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Michelle Rivera coming in, um, both undefeated, both certainly in position that they could have quickly, uh, I would say within the next year, have gotten themselves a title shot through sanctioning body means, but they for they didn't... Uh, I want to say they forego that, but that's not grammatically correct. So you guys have to put together the correct way to say that in your mind. And they chose to fight each other. And what we got was a one-sided victory for Frank Martin. Frank Martin won just about every minute of every round. And I will pass it over to you, Lex. How would you assess Frank Martin's performance? I mean, that was about as good as his performance as you could ask for for Frank. I mean, I think if he got the stoppage, obviously that's been more a little bit more lit. But like, I mean, this was a fight that pretty much everyone agreed was like true 50-50. It's, yo, his boxing is really crazy, man. Because like before the fight, everyone's like, this is a true 50-50 fight. This is what we want. Prospect versus prospect. We need more of this. Shout to Frank Martin and shout to Ali for doing this. The fight happens and it, Frank Martin looks like not God tier, but he like really does his thing. Michelle Rivera shows some flaws and basically like rookie mistakes. I mean, to me, it was actually a, a good loss in a way. And in the fight ends, and you have like boxing writers like, I never want to see Michelle Rivera again. People on Twitter are like, oh, Michelle Rivera is a clown. He's a cut his hair. It's just like, Jesus, man. Like, boxing has some fickle ass fans. Holy shit. But, um, yeah. Now nah, Frank Frank Martin did his thing, man. I mean, I I expected him to win. Um, I did not think it would be eleven one, but um, I did favor him, and I I just think he showed a lot, man. I think he showed a little bit more boxing ability than more than most thought he had, a little bit more athleticism than most thought he had, um, and he just he looked good all around. So one of the things heading into the fight that I thought was super interesting is that if you looked at the way both guys have fought in their career, it kind of turned a lot of tropes on their head because Michelle Rivera is the tall, lengthy guy, and he's shown at times that he does want to box behind the jab and move a little bit. But this is the rare scenario where the shorter guy 
is way better than the taller guy at doing what the taller guy wants to do, which is fight tall. And that to me, um, I so one, I, I did not expect power to really play that big of an issue or um, to, yeah, to play that big of a role. I thought Rivera's power was overrated. Um, you know, he's he's been able to catch guys with shots over the course of his career, but I'd never thought that he had like the kind of, I guess the way I say it, to say it is like, I never seen Rivera hit dudes and like their legs are gone and they're fighting for their lives, you know, for the next couple of rounds. Or he's just like been able to hurt guys over and over in a fight. When he catches a guy, typically they just go out and that's it. And that's because of the level of opposition, you know, as a prospect, that dude was not fighting, you know, the, the gauntlet of lightweight names. And for Frank Martin, you know, I didn't think Frank... I mean, just look at his KO ratio. Like, Frank Martin's KO ratio, not, like, devastating. And so I was like, okay, well, this is probably going to become a boxing match. And from a, the boxing perspective, I think Frank Martin does everything well. I don't know that he's great at anything, but I know he does everything really well. And I know that I've seen uh, Michel Rivera struggle. Um, you know, in the John Fernandez fight, he had struggled. But his... He's, he's typically made the right adjustment in fights to just like, okay, abandon the jab and then try to get a guy out of there. But in this fight, that didn't work because it turns out like not only is Frank Martin good at everything, I actually think Frank Martin is like exceptional at everything. I mean, that I, I there were there were things that he showed in the fight that I don't think was just, you could just chalk it up to, well, Michel Rivera was just not as good. It's like, no, you got to be really good to make somebody at Rivera's level looked the way he looked. You got to come in with a flawless game plan and then you got to execute it and you got to be good enough to execute it. And Frank Martin was. And, um, you know, one thing that was crazy to me is I did not expect Frank Martin to be that fast. And I, I don't mean like fast. When like, you were there live, did it come across very well? Oh, yeah. Um, and I'll say this, like, he definitely not, looked like it. Like he looked fast as shit on TV. It's it, it was like not necessarily fast. Um, he, he wasn't Amir Khan fast or Gary Russell fast. He was quick, and I, I'll never forget the first time I ever went to a fight and noticed somebody on that next level quickness, and it was Andre Ward. Um, I just felt like there were times in the fight where he would be somewhere. And before you knew it, like within an instant, he'd closed ground, landed a shot, and was back on defense. That's not being fast. Like hand speed wise, you know, yeah, sure. A lot of guys are fast. But to be quick, to mount the attack, land it or not, you know, but also get yourself back on defense in position where the guy can't really do shit to you, that's quick. And um, Frank Martin was really quick, and I was not prepared to see see that from him. Um, how did the knockdown look on TV? Um, I, I mean, I noticed immediately it was more of a positional knockdown and not like he was rocked or hurt badly. Um, so that was kind of my take on it. I don't know if people, like other people thought that he was hurt badly, but to me, I could just tell he was kind of out of position. And Frank Martin, Frank Martin caught him at the right time. Um, I think the round ended pretty soon after the knockdown. So, like, whether he was hurt or not, I don't know. We'll never know. But, um, yeah, what would you would you make of Rivera's performance? 
Yeah, and this is like one thing that kind of bothered me about the takes after the fight. I thought it was a good loss, to be honest. I mean, like, no loss is a good one, right? You don't ever want to lose. But, like, a lot of what went wrong for Michelle Rivera in the fight, I think, is correctable. Like, he, he clearly just had trouble fighting at the distance that Frank fought from. And I think there are like little tactical adjustments or training adjustments that you can make to improve in that area. And, you know, it's funny because people so often cry about uh, prospects not fighting. This is what happens when prospects fight early. Like guys aren't completely polished. And what we saw is a guy who has a lot of ability and talent, but he has, he, there's still stuff he has to learn. To, to like completely maximize his talent. And so, yeah, it was disappointing. He looked like, uh, I mean, like after a couple rounds, he just looked lost. He looked defeated. He had a hard time catching a rhythm, but I don't think it's like the end of Michelle Rivera. You know, like he, he learns a bit more, gets a bit more experience. And I still think he's a threat. Um, You know, he just, just took a loss. Nothing wrong with it. You know, I've heard a variation of what you're saying from a lot of different people, which is largely that not that Rivera lost so much because of his own shortcomings. Not that that's not true, but that's not like the emphasis. The emphasis is that Frank Martin tactically and in large part due to having Derek James in his corner was able to be that much better at um, at winning the tactical battle. And I, I mean, I think that's fair. I think it's an accurate statement. I think 100% Derek James is the best trainer uh, in boxing, and it showed in this fight. You could tell, like, after the fight, he, he wasn't totally happy with Frank Martin. It's because he has this, like, insane drive to push his fighters to be better, and he's able to deliver his instructions in a way where he spots what needs to be corrected and then communicates it in a way that is actually actionable by his fighters. But um, kind of lets Rivera off the hook a little bit and his team off the hook a little bit. Um, and I just want to shout out the interview that he did after the fight with Broadway Joel on, uh, on YouTube. You should look it up. He's very, very, very candid in, in a lot of uh, his answers about the loss. And it really kind of um you know it really just opens you up to like you know the, how this dude is gonna have to deal with the defeat but i, I want to say that i i don't i don't agree i don't think rivera's um i don't think this is that correctable um i think frank martin executed a great game plan but the instincts he has as a boxer I don't think Rivera has. And the only way you're going to be able to get past that is um, I, like, I don't see it from Rivera's part. He'd have to become a fighter that he, like he, he is not. I think there were ways that he could have pressed the issue with, with Martin that where he could have maybe tried to be a little rough and bully him a little bit, but I don't necessarily think that that's who he is. And until he discovers or really kind of like loses who he thinks he is in order to 
redevelop himself. I, I really just don't see that happening. And another thing I would say is that, you know, when you bring up Derek James and like the the game plan that Frank Martin had, Herman Caicedo is a good trainer. Make no mistake about it. He's brought a lot of guys to the the, the top level of boxing. But what he hasn't done is win those big fights. And I think that there's just something there in the, in the, I guess in the training and the development of these fighters where it does not scale to being champion. And and that's not to say that um, Herman doesn't have champions because he does. But I think that, you know, there, there's, you look at the advice that he gives the fighters. I think he, he wasn't really telling Rivera how exactly he was supposed to get to Martin and I think that that is pr- like an issue that needs to be worked on. But um, the good thing is that Rivera is still really young. I would be shocked if he didn't find himself in position to be in the title picture at some point. Because his intangibles, you need to think of like his powers, um, his speed. He's still probably going to be very dangerous for a lot of guys. And so... I mean, but now it just all comes down to like, how does he uh, respond to the defeat? And, you know, you mentioned this, and I think it is true. Sometimes losses are good for fighters. I think losing to Tony Harrison was really good for Jermel. Um, It made him go to another gear that I don't think he knew he had. Yeah, and I, I I think Rivera has the ability to like, I just think there's room for improvement, man. Like, I see a, a tall, rangy fighter with, like, decent power. You know, and if you watch that Broadway Joel interview, like, it's clear that he really wants to be great. It's not like he came and, like, mailed it in. Joel was like, do you think this loss will motivate you? I'm sorry. Joel asked Rivera if the loss would motivate him more. And he said it's impossible to be any more motivated than I am. And I, like, love that answer because it's like, like, for you to answer like that in the, the heat of the moment, it just screams, like, I'm really dedicated and I really wanted this. It just didn't work out. And so, I, I again, I just think he has to make whatever little adjustments he needs to to, to get more educated in, at, at boxing. That's it. Yeah, I, I just, um, I think he can get better. I just don't think he's ever going to be able to beat Frank Martin. And that may no, say more I, about Frank Martin than him. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, like, he could just come back and beat Frank Martin. I just think if he were to rematch Frank Martin, like the showing would be better with like whatever like wrinkles he needs to add or whatever. Um, so yeah. Uh, as far as like where both of these guys go next, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of different options. You know, you can throw a bunch of names out from tank to, I don't know. You can throw out Roly, any of these guys. Uh, and so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that this can go. I think most of the matchups that people would really want to see, those guys are already tied up. Like Tank's tied up. Ryan Garcia's tied up. Uh, Shakur is not tied up, but I imagine that he's going to be tied up. Expect for them to announce he's fighting Jermaine Ortiz. Devin Haney is tied up. He will be fighting Lomachenko. Lomachenko obviously tied up. So where does what does that leave left for these guys? is the question because all that basically means that for the first six months of next year there's really no top top guy in the lightweight division that these guys are going to face even though you may feel like um they're ready for that top level 
that leaves guys like William uh, Zapata, who's probably not going to fight either one of these guys. Isaac Cruz, obviously Cruz versus um, any of uh, like Rivera or Frank Martin would be fantastic. The only problem is I think Isaac Cruz is waiting to get that tank rematch. Uh, Roly, I mean, um, yeah. Does any any name pop out for you that you'd like to see either Frank Martin or Michelle Rivera fight? I mean, if okay, so let's start off with Michelle Rivera. It's a little easier. I mean, I think you could throw him in there with some like he just needs easier fights. Like Frank Martin is obviously like a level or two above him. So you give Rivera fights that are more similar to his level so he can work on whatever he needs to work on. These aren't top guys that I'd be talking about. These are like like dudes that are essentially coming in to lose and, and maybe you have a chance. That's fine, you know? Um, for Frank Martin, though, I mean, Roley, if he can make 35, Cruz, um, De Los Santos, that's his name? De Los Santos, right? Yeah. I mean, like, these are fights that'll raise his profile. Like, if he, you know, De Los Santos got, has a little bit of buzz from beating, um, El Rayo. If you, if you were to, if, say Ryo won this fight, right? Ryo versus Frank Mar Martin would have been a perfect matchup to make right now. And obviously, like, Frank Martin is, like, way better than him. But I think those are the type of names that will continue to bring attention to Frank Martin. Yeah. If he can't get a Cruz or Tank or whoever, so. Well, I also think that, like, those are just going to be the only names available. Well, that's um, true. Although De Los Santos versus Frank Martin is interesting, it gives Samson another crack at uh, Frank Martin to get that win. And Broadway Joel. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, that that would be a really interesting fight because, I mean, like, Rivera, I think too much of a boxer to have really just been, like a, like, a danger threat in terms of power for Frank Martin. But De Los Santos is coming in to do one thing and one thing only. And if you take that guy past three or four rounds, he's very likely to gas. So yeah, um, I, I I agree with you about Rivera. I think you got to scale back his um, opposition and just hope that he's showing progress in the right direction. But I don't think you have to do it that far back because I don't think losing this fight will have like um, completely made people write him off. I think one win can get you straight back in the mix and we're going to talk a bit about that when we get into our awards so let me just quickly run through the undercard um vladimir shishkin got the decision win over jose uskategi um decent fight i thought shishkin looked a lot better than he did the last time i saw him the last time i watched him was on showbox a year ago or maybe a little over a year ago now and um i just was like not sold whatsoever on him didn't think he had much of a future at 168 and he looked a little better than I thought against Uskategi. I think if he'd had more power, that would have been a pretty early stoppage. <laughs> and I think that we would be a lot more excited about Shishkin joining what appears to be a 168-pound division that has very quickly gotten exciting. Um, you know, in the wake of like, Canelo and all this stuff. I think 168 is replenished itself really well, similarly to the way lightweight has. And then um, in the opener, uh, God, 
I don't even think I remember what this guy's name is. Um, but um, we had Nikolai Potapov. What was I can't remember what this guy's name is. It was um, Vincent Astrolabio. Yeah, Vincent Astrolabio, who recently got the win, uh, an upset win over Guillermo Rigondo. And you say upset because Astrolabio has three losses already, including a knockout loss in Malaysia. I think that's Malaysia. To a guy who is th- 13-7. and seven. And I don't know what's happened to this guy. But in the last four years, he has turned something around. And, like, I'm watching him fight Rigondo and now Potapov. And, like, I can actually say this guy is not bad at all. He is not what his record reflects. And typically, you are what your record says. But this is a guy that it looks like the record is very deceptive. I don't know what they've done with this guy. But, um... He got the win over Nikolai Potapov. Uh, pretty brutal fight. I think Astralabio just never stopped coming. And Potapov was a little too game for his own good and wound up getting stopped in the sixth round. Actually, he just didn't get up after the second a knockout because he just took the full count. He didn't win no more. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and Pot- Potapov fought Josh Greer back in 2019. And arguably beat him he, he he took a majority decision loss but i if i remember correctly on that one i thought he won so that's all she wrote for nikolai potapov on the undercard uh on the, on the prelims i'll just say um well kenneth sims so i was there for the kenneth sims fight i don't know if um no nobody saw this because it wasn't televised kenneth sims looked really good i just want to throw that out there he Fought in a way that I haven't really seen him fight. You know, Kenneth Sims has mostly been kind of like a back foot guy. Really walked this guy down for five rounds and stopped him. It was pretty impressive. Um, And the, the Omar Juarez versus Austin Dulé fight was pretty funny. Uh, There were three low blow deductions for Juarez. And Juarez still won the fight. Austin Dulé <laughs> um, probably did not get hit low three times. But he sold it very well. It led to a skirmish in the ring after the fight and was continued during the main event when Austin Dulé made, you know, it had a WWE return into the crowd to start uh, a shouting match with fans, which then led to security removing Austin Dulé and Austin Dulé challenging somebody to meet him in the parking lot, which it was like in the 20s in Vegas. I don't think anybody really wanted to be fighting in the parking lot, but whatever. All right. So that's the card. It's time to give out some awards for 2022. All right. So why don't we go back and forth? Okay. I'll ask one. You ask the the next one. Does that sound fair? We'll both answer them, of course. I just want to make it clear. Like we're doing this because if you do the main year end awards, like, like everyone has the same answer. Yeah. I don't think it's fun. I, I think we could do the generic year-end awards in like two minutes if we just tried. Yeah, I, I think totally. Um, but I'll just say this. You know, if you want to know what my main awards are. By the way. Like, why don't we do main awards? Let's do like three minutes main awards. Well, let me just say this first. Um, this is meant to be fun. If you want like a super in-depth um, 
and like very, very serious look at these things that we're going to go through, not the podcast. We're just going to have fun and kind of reminisce over the year. Okay. And so main awards, fighter of the year, fight of the year, prospect of the year, um, whatever else you want to say, I'm giving all those awards to Jamel Charlo. The reason why <laughs> is because he's the only one that I actually fear that if I were not to give him the award, he would probably come to my house. So Jamel Charlo, for me, has won fight of the year, fighter of the year, prospect of the year, trainer of the year. What about you? Uh, I have Jamel on some of my other awards. <laughs> so I'll go Bibble, fighter of the year, plant knockout of the year. Ooh. Fight of the year for me, Charlo Castano two, train of the year Derek James and my man Bob Santos super close. Um, fair, fair. What else am I mean like prospect? I mean it's gonna be like one of the top ranked guys like Jared Anderson, Keyshawn. I don't know, flip a coin with them. Uh, I mean what else? What am I missing? Uh, well, I'll just disagree with you on one of them. I, I'm gonna go and not actually it's not disagreeing with you. It's just kind of like giving another take because I really don't care about these awards, but um, it's like a pound for pound list. Like it's, if you want to argue about it, cool, but I'm not necessarily interested in that. Um, but fighter of the year, I think recognition 100% goes to Hector Garcia smoked. Chris Colbert beat Gutierrez, who was a champion. Um, that is a very, very strong year. Um, Bibble's fine. I mean, he, he, he's also probably like the objectively, he's probably objectively the fighter of the year in terms of like number of accomplishments. Cause I think beating Canelo pound for pound, number one clearly is the best win of the year. Um, and then made better is that he also beat Zerto Ramirez. Jamel, obviously, you know, I'm joking, but he does deserve some recognition as fighter of the year for going undisputed in a fight against a fighter that showed that he was almost as good as him in the first fight comes back stronger. Well, I don't know if he came back stronger, but he came back a lot more focused and listened to his trainer this time and wound up getting, um, the stoppage victory fight of the year, Lubin Fundora, um, Taylor Three. Serrano. Those are a couple of fights that I think deserve mention prospect of the year. I don't care. Um, Trainer of the year is Derek James without question. Bob Santos definitely deserves some credit, but like without question it is Derek James. And like the thing about Derek James that I do want to point out for trainer of the year is like you actually see there's a huge difference watching what Derek James is doing in the corner versus um I don't know, whoever was it Rob McCracken who was training AJ in the past and was just like, Brilliant, AJ, it's brilliant. It's like, no, <laughs> dude. This is <laughs> they say this ain't working. Um, so yeah, let's so let's get on with our um, our more unique awards. So I'll go first. What is a fight that that what are okay? The award for a fight you would have most liked to have attended this year. Okay, so I I mean I'll go I'll lead off with my winner. Um, my winner was Charlo Castano two. That fight had all the like ingredients for me of a fight I would like love to be at. Like you had the the national rivalry energy 
of like Argentina versus America. Charlo had the, the flag at the weigh in. Okay, literally the only one the that felt that way was Jermel. But go on. No, nah, but if you if you went if you watched on YouTube the weigh in footage, they had like the the Argentina marching band doing all types of chants and stuff like that. You were at the fight, if I remember correctly. So, like, you would know if it, like, translated on fight night. But leading into the fight, that energy was there. And then you were in the, the punch bowl, or whatever it's called. Don't call it that. <laughs> what, what is it again? I always forget the name. The Dignity Health Sports Park. But you can literally you were call in it Dignity Health Sports Don't Park. Don't call it the punch bowl. Don't call it the war grounds. Call it um... what it is. Yeah, the StubHub Center. So you're you're in StubHub, which is like usually guaranteed action. You're, you know, this is a rematch of a fight that was like super close, super contested, and it was for undisputed, and it was gonna be a good fight. And like, I don't know if I had like if I could, you know, rubble magic lamp or whatever, and attend one fight this year, that for sure would have been the one. That and it, it ended in a knockout. It was dope. My runner, runners up, Subriel Matias versus Petros Ananya. That was on an undercard. It wasn't an undercard, but like it was in Jersey. For those who don't remember, they had that one in AC. And you could tell the AC crowd really showed up for that card. Like, I, like everyone was there early for the whole undercard, was cheering for the good fights, a little drive for the bad fights. And that fight was like, like of all the fights this year, that one was pretty like, like intense back and forth, dramatic. Like both guys really laid it on the line, and Matias did his thing. So that like, I would, I really want to see him in person. Like of all the fighters active right now, he's like top five that I like really want to see in person. Just because he doesn't really fight. Like th- this is like a completely separate topic. Guys that are usually athletic like him don't fight like that. They usually fight like your t- traditional boxer defense first. He's like opposite. He's all offense, guns are blazing. So whatever. Other runners up: Tank Rowley, Spence Ugas. Uh, so the fight I would have most liked to attend goes to Charlo Castaño too, and I was at it, but I'm still gonna give it that one because if <laughs> I, I swear, if I could go to that fight again over any other fight, I would choose that one. Um. There's a couple of things about that fight that I probably won't. I'm not going to say because um, it's like other things happened in that going to that fight that were cool for me. But um, I think the combination of the actual fight was great. Boots was on the undercard. Um, it was overall an entertaining card. And then the main event just completely delivered. Other thing about it is like the vibe that night will never be matched. I don't I don't think. Um, it was the, the, like the best sort of tense atmosphere, but everyone was having a really good time. Um, it was, it was really strange actually how much it didn't feel like a fight and felt more like everyone was like at a party ready for, to to then watch a fight. It was, was, I mean, just uh, uh, like, I don't know, hard to describe. But the one, you know, if I had to give it to a fight that I would most like to have attended, it would go to Canelo versus Bivol. Now, I've been to multiple Canelo fights. I don't think I've ever been to a Bivol fight, but I've been to multiple Canelo fights. So it's not necessarily because of, you know, wanting to see Canelo. 
wanting to see this fight, but it's more so like there were so many questions going into the fight about how it was selling. I would have loved to have been there to get it, get an, a look at it for myself, but also um, to see Canelo lose would have been like, you know, sometimes it, there's a fun in being disappointed and going and seeing your team lose. I wanted Canelo to win, you know, just from like a pure fan perspective. But I, I really would have been like to like if he was gonna lose, I, I at least wanted I at least wanted to be there. And um watching it on TV to see like the like how dead the crowd got when it looked pretty grim uh as far as Canelo's prospects of winning the fight went, I definitely would have liked to have been there. Um I probably wouldn't have had a great time, but I at least would I I would have liked to have said I was there. Um and at least just kind of have that experience. But yeah, that's that's the only one that I thought of. All right, next award. Next pick, we have award for the fighter who gained the most momentum or status from last year. All right. So I will go. I have a few picks. But I think the objective sort of correct answer here is Hector Garcia. I think without question, you look at where that dude was a year ago, no one has gained more steam. The dude had an, a fight of the year um, campaign that no one saw coming. He's heading into a fight with Tank to go from unknown, for the most part, to fighting one of the biggest stars in the sport in a fight that most people think is going to be very competitive, if not dangerous for Tank to take, given what awaits him in the Ryan Garcia fight. I think without question, this dude has gained a lot. Um, other fighters that I also considered, Frank Martin, I think, has had a great year. And I think, you know, maybe it's recency bias, I don't know, but Frank Martin's definitely come a long way from being like, oh yeah, he's one of the lightweight prospects to, hey, if he beat insert your favorite lightweight here, I wouldn't be shocked. And, and that's how I do feel like I wouldn't be shocked if Frank Martin beat any of the top dogs at lightweight. I wouldn't be shocked. I probably wouldn't pick him uh, against most of them, but I would not be shocked. That guy looks like, like he looks frighteningly skilled. Um, we'll see how, how far it goes though. Um, Regis Progre, I think the way 2021 finished that dude looked completely irrelevant and he has since turned it around. And I think with that Zapata performance has, well, you know, he won most of the rounds, got the stoppage. I think Progre, uh, then they played their cards pretty, pretty nicely with the Jose Romero stuff. Um, and then, you know what, one that I wasn't thinking of, but I was actually thinking about him a lot today. So it's funny that we kind of chose to do this podcast today but i think demetrius andrade is actually somehow gained a lot of momentum from where he was last year and it all he had to do was make a decision for his career <laughs> that made sense and it's like wow people are actually talking about potential fights for this guy and and, and not with the most pessimistic of views that's a pretty big change for andrade all right your turn who gained the so momentum? You know, initially, seemed like Hector Garcia was like the obvious pick here, but I'm gonna go a different direction. Um, 
And you had some great nominees, but you left out who I actually am going to pick. Ooh. And that's um, Devin Haney. Interesting. Now, like, I like it. The thing with Devin is like, yeah, like the com- like being undisputed took, okay, wait. Being undisputed, winning that fight has put him in a in like the driver's seat of like where everybody wants to be. He could pick like him being able to go between like Lomachenko on ESPN main event or just going to 140 and uh, he can maybe fight Teofimo or maybe he could fight like Ramirez or whatever. Like he has such great options and it'll all be ESPN main event. And to go from that from being on the zone, like completely unknown, barely filling out an arena, it's such like a huge jump. And I, I think it it deserves acknowledgement, even though I don't agree with a lot of the takes on Haney and how he's like the guy in the de- division because he's undisputed. I think like the jump he's made this year has been amazing just by aligning himself with, with top rank. And, I don't, you know, I don't know if he'll stick with top rank or like kind of like how that future will play out. But um, I, I think that was a, a huge jump that he made. Um, one other nominee I had was Tank, and it's like it may sound silly because like Tank has been on pay per view before twenty twenty two, but like with Canelo, you know, not being doing Canelo things, uh, and Wilder, you know, regaining momentum, like. Tank is kind of like the guy right now. Like, obviously, he needs the Ryan fight to like come through and like take him to that next, next, next level. But like, Tank is like undoubtedly like the pay per view dude. You have to give it to him. People were like questioning his gates. All oh, the tickets were comp. No one's buying his pay per view. You can't say any of that anymore. Like, Madonna showed up to his fight, and I don't think like, I, I don't know, maybe someone asked her to come, but like, that's Madonna. That's crazy. Um, that the tank Roly fight took him, took him up a notch, and he, he's going to continue to rise. But I like I like Haney for this pick. Yeah, I <clears throat> I wouldn't pick him still, but I do think he 100% deserves the nomination. Um, tank also I I can see it, but I I don't know less so for from him. All right, next one is fighter whose profile slash status suffered the most from last year <laughs> this is such a funny one uh i'm actually changing my pick <clears throat> see initially i was gonna say canelo yeah but I-, I think i have to go with terrence crawford man yeah never in my history of watching boxing have i seen a guy go from hero to villain so fast and it's like it's totally self-inflicted like, we're not talking about someone who, like, popped dirty for drugs or, like, domestic violence somebody or whatever, robbed someone or <laughs> killed someone. He, he's just, he's been so unpleasant since leaving top rank. And it's, like, crazy because, you know, just just discussing boxing from, like, a fandom point of view, Terrence Crawford had, like, the black vote. Like, I'm going to just keep it real. He had the support of the black fight fan. <laughs> Where'd you go? Did you get silenced? Did Zoom disagree with you and silence you? I can't hear you anymore. Can you hear me? Yeah. I, I started to move a little bit. Okay. 
What did, what was the last thing you heard? That Terrence Crawford has the black vote. The Terrence Crawford had the black vote. All the black fight fans absolutely loved and adored Terrence Crawford. When Terrence Crawford was having his issues with top rank, like, like all the boxing Twitter, like the whole talk was like, oh, top rank is doing Crawford so wrong. Same with YouTube. And then he finally frees himself from top rank. And it's like, they were right the whole entire time. He should never be in front of the camera. Like, he he is overpaid. And he he's difficult. And it, it's unfortunate because he's such a great fighter, but he's not doing himself any favors. And again, like, I've been watching boxing pretty, pretty closely since, like, the early to mid-2000s or something like that. And this has never, ever happened. Nothing close has happened to this a pound for pound fighter who like a certain fan base love now absolutely hates and he really has no fan base except for like trolls you don't see that very often so he is easily the winner now the other nominees canelo joshua and fury <clears throat> um yeah terence crawford is the winner here this this might this award might actually get like the <laughs> well there, there's different variations of like the whole like whose profile like suffered the most um but like terence crawford's a special kind because it's like who's self-inflicted like you know just tanked their career in the span of 12 months and like without question it has been terence crawford i don't agree well actually no um i do think it's funny that like a large part of and in the, they they thought they were being slick by like saying this stuff, but what the the undertone of what they were saying was that this is not doing well. The event, you know, that they did a couple of weeks ago, but they were blaming it on you know lack of black support. And but you know, obviously, the undertone of that was like, hey, this shit is not selling. Where where is everybody at? And that was kind of like a pretty poor attempt at. PR, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, Terrence Crawford, I think um, it, the, the, it says a lot about the people who are still by his side. I mean, like there's so many people that I know on like Twitter as like Terrence Crawford super fans who have um, like just turned their back on him. It's been crazy to see the self-destruction of Terrence Crawford over the past year now he's still a great fighter just you know that that's but that's not what this is like you can still be good and tarnish your legacy i think fury is interesting um you know i i don't think fury has really changed much like again like terence crawford i i don't think he's like taking a step back from like you know who he is as a fighter but that chisora fight was just like dude come on um canelo yeah that's fair I think for me, my number one is Josh Warrington. And it's like, it's the crazy thing is like, even in the last 12 months, Josh Warrington's stock wasn't very high. And yet today, I don't, can't really think of anybody that really wants to ever see this guy fight again. That fight with Luis Lopez was <laughs> just awful to watch, you know, in terms of like entertainment value. But if you actually know, like at least one of the rules of boxing, if not multiple, you know that Josh Warrington is just a downright dirty fighter and there's no reason to ever want to watch this guy fight because that guy is a dirty fighter, not safe to fight, and um, he's shown that he's consistently done it. And on top of all of that, 
how do you lose a decision in your hometown against the out-of-town fighter um, when, you know, it like, you watch Luis Lopez, it's like, this guy's not great. Like, dude, maybe foul less actually box, which Josh Winton wasn't a bad boxer coming up. I don't know what happened to all of his skill, but uh, yeah, not there anymore. And then the other one whose profile I think has suffered a lot over the course of the last year, um, Michaela Mayer. I think Michaela's done a really good job at like making herself really unlikable in the way that she's dealt with the loss. And I know that we've been we we've defended a lot of fighters coming off of their losses and the way that they behave. And I understand, you know, as an ultra competitor. Losing is not easy, and the way you cope is always going to not probably be rational when you're just an irrational person to begin with, given the level of success these guys achieve at an insane sport that is boxing. But Michaela Mayer has just been downright unlikable. Um, I don't even think that it's like denial or anything. It's just like, no, you're actually just being unlikable. With You know, you're saying plausible things. You just... Or saying it in a way that's like it's hard for me to imagine anybody liking you. Um, I also have Savannah Marshall here because her, you know, where she started the year as like this puncher, the one, um, you know, the one women's boxer who definitely is like a devastating puncher. Losing to Clarissa Shields the way that she did, um, the only success she had in that fight was because Clarissa Shields kind of took her foot off the gas pedal, but. She's nowhere near as egregious as as those as anybody else on the on the list. And in fact, I'd say Savannah Marshall's um, profile shrinking or, or suffering has largely just been ring stuff and not necessarily anything that is either some combination of ring and outside. Hers is mostly just ring. All right, the next award. I don't know why you uh, awarded it this way, but I'm just gonna stick with it because. Whatever, because like the saying goes, like the opposite direction. I just flipped it because I think I thought it would be cool to do both. I'd never heard this phrase before. That's what that's what I mean. You've never heard. It. Well, go ahead. Who? I'm asking you. No. No, I, I don't know. All right, whatever. Just ask me. No, I, I'm asking you. I think. No, you're asking me. <laughs> okay. So again, I flipped the saying, but best shit to sugar job by promoter because the saying is I took sugar to shit. I mean. It went from sugar to shit. Dude, you sure you know? <laughs> yes, no, I got it right. It went from sugar to shit. It went from good to bad. So, like, while we flip it, it went from bad to good. All right. So, I'm going to say what the job that Golden Boy, well, actually, I don't know who deserves credit here, but I'm just going to say it was Golden Boy. Uh, the job that they've done with Alexis Rocha has been very good. And I think that they're getting him back into position to be considered um, up there as a name amongst the welterweights. And I really didn't think this was possible. Like, to see the way Alexis Rocha got beat by Rashidi Ellis, like, just completely, like, proving that Alexis Rocha probably contender level at the absolute best. Um, what Golden Boy's done, getting Rocha fights, and then getting, putting him in there with Blair Cobbs, I think was really good in terms of, like, letting Blair Cobbs do all of the work so that when Rocha inevitably beat him, all that would transfer, all that attention that Blair Cobbs uh, got would go over to Alexis Rocha. I think that was a really smart move from Golden Boy. And I, and I think that he's going to have a pretty strong 2023 
assuming they don't have to match him with anybody who's actually really good because I think that will be the end of Rocha. But I thought that was a good job. Okay, my pick for this one would be Carlos Adamus. I think this guy's story is pretty amazing. So, like, I don't really remember him at top rank. I'm not sure, like, what they were doing with him. I just know, I just know he lost over there during the pandemic against uh, Patrick Teixeira. And he even got knocked down. I was just looking on BoxRec, which is, like, crazy to me. Did a fight in DR 2011. I mean, 2021, sorry. PBC fight 2021 against uh, Alexis Flores. PBC fight against Derevinchenko 2021. 2022, he gets a fight against Montiel, who put up a really good fight against Charlo. So, like, going into the fight, I don't remember exactly if it was, like, a 50-50 fight. I kind of felt it was. Would you agree or no? Um, I think I favored Adamas, but I thought it was going to be an absolute war between the two of them. Me too. I thought it was going to be, like, a close, intense battle because of the Charlo fight. Montiel got demolished. And, like, now Adamas is, like, a guy who... I don't know what the hell Jamal Charlo has been up to recently, but like if they were to fight anytime soon and Charlo wasn't like completely locked in, great camp, really sharp, I think I would favor Montiel. I think you have to, no? I'm asking you. Andrew. That's a tough question. Yeah, well, I think, I don't know, man. I don't know what Charlo's been up to. I don't know if he's been in the gym or what. But if he hasn't been, you got, I'd rock with Montiel. So I saw a picture of him recently, and it does look like he's in the gym. But what I'll say is that it doesn't look like he's been maintaining his weight that, you know, around 160. Or uh, I don't know what his walk-around weight normally is, but it looks like he's a little above that. Now, I don't mean that he's fat. He looks like he's still trim. He just looks like he's added uh, a lot of muscle. Like his upper body looks a lot bigger. Um, but he, you know, he's still, I, I don't think he'd have any trouble getting back into weight, but he just looks like a guy who's probably going to go to 168. Um, but as for what, you know, Jamal's doing, um, and, and that, that's probably a fighter whose profile suffered the most from the last year. Jamal Damn, definitely deserves pick, honestly. I didn't even think to like mention because I hadn't thought there. about him. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know. The Montiel fight wasn't great for him, but he still somehow slipped even further. And, you know, I know that he had the back injury. And then I also know that um, on top of that, there was, there's like been some at-home stuff, you know. I don't know what the status is of his, you know, at-home life, but it looks like there's been some rocky stuff. And I'm not talking about, you know, his cousin getting him arrested for beating him up. I'm talking about like, you know, stuff with the wife. I don't know if uh, everything's squared away over there. So there's, he's had a pretty tumultuous year. Um, but yeah, I, I, if he came back, I would not be able to just quickly favor him over everybody. I think we'd need to be very cautious and, and just kind of see where he's at before we just come out here and say, because obviously before this little hiatus from the ring, you know, you look at Adamus and his history, you look at Jamal and, and his pedigree, and you're like, yeah, no, Jamal, clearly favorite here. I don't know that that's a, a sure thing anymore. Agree. So 
Yeah, props to PBC for getting that right. Props to Adamus for sticking to it. Props, props to Bob Santos for, uh, you know, being a good trainer and doing what he does. So, uh, yeah, um, Adamus is a good pick, actually. I, I like that pick too. So to flip it now, best sugar to shit job by promoter. I I think um, one hundred percent the winner here's uh what what Matram has done with Canelo. <laughs> the the momentum he had coming off of the plant fight the plant fight had it like a, you know dramatic finish the pay-per-view buys were very very strong and then to follow that up with the bivol fight which completely underperformed in terms of pay-per-view buys um in terms of like gate and then of course and and this isn't you know i guess you could put put some blame in terms of the matchmaking that the promoter has some responsibility for but more so Canelo's to blame here, but like the absolute underperformance against Bivol, which actually resulted in losing. And then following that up very quickly by announcing the Golovkin fight, which I think was a horrible idea. Um, basically, people talked enough about the fight to talk themselves out of being interested in it, you know, four months in advance. But, um, you know, you have the Golovkin fight. That one underperforms. The pay-per-view is no good. Um, the the gate wasn't great. And and I don't mean like, you know, any fighter would kill for these gates, by the way, and the pay-per-view figures, but we're talking Canelo. So obviously the standards are a little higher, but um, Canelo is kind of like at his lowest point that he's been in his career in a really long time. And, um, you know, I, yeah, it just has been a very rough year for Canelo. Uh, other guys that I got on my list. Hold on. Before I go there, are you going to pick, like, is your winner any of the guys that I have? Because I'd prefer if I pick my winner, and if you have a winner that I've got, you say it first. I don't know what you mean, but I do have Canelo. Okay. So, but you're, you're like, quote-unquote winner. Is it any of the guys that I have? No, no, it's Canelo. Okay, cool. All right, then. You, you didn't, it, That's my winner, too. So, no. But my other guys that I want to throw out there is uh, Edgar Berlanga. I don't know if Top Rank is purposely like sabotaging him because they just realize it ain't going to happen and they're just kind of like going to gently like bring him down. But holy shit, Edgar Berlanga is like went from being one of the most excited, sorry, exciting, talked about prospects in the sport to like if he fought on an undercard no one would even know he exists anymore. <laughs> and I don't think that they could have gotten away with that a year ago. Everyone would have still like been interested, but like, man, they have told, and again, largely all of the, you know, you could, the promoters only can do so much. And I'm picking guys that the fighters have also helped out the promoter. And so Berlanga makes sense here. And then uh, Josh Taylor, uh, I guess it's, well, I guess now it's Boxer, but it was Frank Warren, but um, or I don't fucking know who it is, but whoever it was, Josh Taylor um, has been uh, just kind of navigated his career directly into the ground. And it's a shame because, you know, talented fighter, undisputed champion. Now he's only got two titles, I guess, probably going to wind up with zero and be forced to move up to welterweight before he even rematches Jack Catterall, a rematch that should have happened long ago. And yeah, I don't know what is going on 
with Josh Taylor. But those are my picks. Good picks. So it's, I think your turn to ask. Oh, so you, you got Canelo too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got Canelo. All right. Most sketchy move made by a manager, promoter, or trainer. You just kind of, I yeah. There's this. There's a lot to pick from here. You know, it's crazy. Is like, you know, you helped out with the picks on this one, but if we really like dug into the crates, I mean, I feel like there'd be a lot of nominations. And like, I I hope people hit us up. Like, if you're listening to this and we missed anything, like. We did this on the, not that we did this on the fly, but like it's easy to miss some of these categories because like you know there's a lot of good picks to be made, but for this one in particular, I'm going with the Connor Ben situation. That shit was crazy. I mean, like the guy tested two times. Eddie Hearn was trying super hard to make the fight. Um, Eubank looked super drained. I mean, like. God forbid they let that fight go on and something bad happens. Then the test comes out. Then they find out that Eddie knew. Like, <laughs> it was already such a bad look. It could have been way worse. But that was a uh, poorly handled situation. Very poorly, very sketchy, and very dangerous. This wasn't this year, but I just want to throw this out there. Because we didn't do this award last year, and we should have. But um, shout out to Triller. Hope you rest in piss. But allowing Evander Holyfield to fight last year, 100% deserved some some sort of award for how <laughs> shitty and sketchy of a move that was. Um, but yeah, the, the whole match from Conor Band situation, I think there, there's just like the fact that it was so high profile for one automatically makes it the pick. But like there's just so much bullshit going on with it in terms of like to try to press forward. There's a whole Eubanks dad situation who, whether or not these two things are correlated or not, that dude has a mental breakdown. Um, suing or attempting to sue, they're still trying to um, uh, clear Connor Ben's name when it's very clear. I don't think to date Connor Ben has ever even come out and said, yeah, I didn't do this shit. And if he has, I it, that's just not been the talking point. Um it's just kind of there's just a lot of slimy shit that's gone on where they've tried to turn this more into a legal issue instead of like an actual drug test testing issue there's been no attempt at just bringing the science in to determine whether or not this was a like a legitimate positive test or not instead they're trying to legal their way through technicalities and stuff and it's like nothing about this just seems like it's on the up and up and everyone involved should be ashamed of themselves um there's a one that just kind of sketchy that's happened right recently but i don't think it's like on that level and that's like the whole jose ramirez um regis progress situation where progress or ramirez is just not interested in the fight because of the purse and the way that they're like i don't know if they've actually negotiated with it um you know that is just ridiculous Second place for me, 100%, is the Terrence Crawford BLK Prime fucking Blue Blood Sports YouTuber somehow being involved. Like Terrence Crawford's like whole handling of the Spence negotiations and move to BLK to fight David Avanesian. Um, and then to top all that off, if all that wasn't enough, where Errol Spence told Terrence Crawford, if you think that I'm lying, if any of the shit I'm saying is not true, just post the contract so people can figure it out themselves. 
And Terrence Crawford has since not posted that contract to vindicate any of the things that he said were were or were not true. The gloves seemingly rip open during the fight. And like no one's like, hey, that's fucking sketchy. And potentially very dangerous. We don't know if the gloves were tampered. They probably weren't. But like in this situation, someone's got to do some due diligence and figure this out. No one appears to be getting to the bottom of this. And and no one's not only getting to the bottom of this, but like then um, the, the coverage of this seems non-existent. And this should be a pretty big deal. Uh, so I don't know. Is it because no one cares about Terrence Crawford because he's done such a good job burying himself over the past year? I doubt it. But I mean, if you told me like, hey, that's the reason, I wouldn't argue with you. Um, other things I just want to point out. Josh Taylor and the WBO... Let's not forget the horrible referee job, the horrible scorecards, and Taylor somehow miraculously winning when um, Catterall's team, or, well, there was doubts expressed about the judges who were picked, and they were all like, okay, it's fine, whatever. And then what do you know? Taylor gets a decision that he probably doesn't deserve. Gabe Flores being allowed to continue to fight. They did not scale back his level of opponents, and this dude is like, in the fast lane to CTE. Hopefully he never fights again because that dude is just, um, you know, he's just a 30 for 30 waiting to happen. Those are, those are some of my picks. There are no, there's, but there's no shortage here on this list of terms of like sketchy moves by manager, promoters, trainers. I didn't even think about trainers, but um, I'm sure at some point I'm going to think of a bunch of trainer situations that I thought were just shitty. I mean, this is boxing. I guarantee you that, like... Oh, we can't forget this. Whoever the fuck was in Eidos' corner, Kay Karoma was listed as a trainer, but he was one of Kay Karoma's guys. I forgot what his name was. You're an asshole. <laughs> That's a you great deserve pick. to never corner again. But hopefully, like, you know... Now, I don't... I, not, nothing terrible, but, like, you know, you definitely deserve to step on, like... Uh, a nail or something because Eidos almost lost his life and thank God that dude is seems like he's going to be all right but he did not need to take that beating everyone watching that fight knew that that fight needed to be stopped and it was allowed to go uh, like it was literally allowed to go until Morel made it impossible for the fight to go on anymore and he he shouldn't have had to have been put in that position because it was really clear it did not need to get there that's all I got. <laughs> facts, 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 facts. So I'll ask you, who do you give the award to for most disappointing performance? Um, where the hell is this one? Uh, I guess scroll down. Oh, oh, man, this is tricky. I'm trying to think. Um, I'm going to say Canelo Triple G. I had initially T.O. over I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's that's a good one. But you 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 have to go Canelo versus Triple G. I mean, like Triple G, he hasn't looked good like since he fought Canelo, and Canelo is at one sixty eight, a division that Triple G had never fought at, and probably had what like, it's, it's so like subtract the Bivol fight. He's had mostly knockouts. Like the fact that Canelo, not only he didn't knock him out, he just didn't look good at all. Like, it was just very underwhelming, flat, disappointing. And the fight was boring. I remember, like, I was, like, 
fighting sleep during the fight. I'm not joking at all. So I got to give it to Canelo um, versus Triple G. I thought My initial pick for the Bivol fight, but actually the Golovkin fight is actually more disappointing because I think you can't be mad that he lost a Bivol. Like he's 175. I mean, yeah. Bivol's pretty like competent. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't. Like... But actually, when you just want to say, you could actually give it to Golovkin too, because <laughs> that Golovkin like. You you actually said something that was really interesting is he you know you said he hasn't looked good since the last time he fought Canelo and I think that that's actually true I think he hasn't looked like and so you could say that he's had good performances since then but what you can't say is that he's looked like the quote unquote triple G which is that stalker Mexican style and you know a lot of that has to do with I think he left Abel Sanchez and went to Jonathan Banks and we've seen a different version of Golovkin that has not been as fun to watch as it used to be and not as dominant as it used to be. But um, also, I mean, whether, you know, Abel Sanchez or um, Jonathan Banks, the performance against Canelo in the in this trilogy was terrible. It's terrible. It's stank. It's garbage. Um, other nominations. Actually, you should say yours, just like you told me to say mine. Okay. Because... <clears throat> Well, my winner would have been for Canelo for Bivol. And I don't give a shit if he was 175. Um, <laughs> but my other nominations that I have is Joshua in the um, Usyk rematch. And I'm going to explain why. Because he goes to the trainers. He goes to find himself after losing to Usyk in the first fight. He gets with the trainer that I think most people thought was the right guy. That he was going to have something unlocked by going to Robert Garcia. Robert Garcia actually gave Joshua great advice. I think everything about that fight was put in Joshua's favor to win, and he still just could not get it together. That, to me, was really disappointing to see. Very closely related to Anthony Joshua is another pick that I would throw out here, Andy Ruiz. You can't drop Luis Ortiz six times in two rounds or whatever it was. It was it was far less, but you know. And then Box scared the rest of the fight. Now I don't know if he was scared, but he fought on the outside. He circled, which is on one hand cool to see that Ruiz has that like aspect of his game. Like I definitely respect that we saw that Andy's got um, you know some versatility in the way he fights, but. I don't want to see that after you drop a guy multiple times in the first couple of rounds. You got to press to finish and see if you can get him out of there. Andy never did that. Um, and I was at this fight too. It looked like it was going to be like a, a war or stoppage or something like that. And it wound up never breaking out. That to me is very disappointing. Savannah Marshall against Clarissa Shields. You know, I thought that... Um, you know, I, I thought Clarissa was going to fight differently because Savannah was going to pose some level of threat. She did not. I thought that that was a wildly disappointing performance from Savannah Marshall. Although this one, not so much because like you could just chalk it up to Clarissa is like a very special athlete and, you know, there was not much she was going to do. And last but not least, um, Leo Santa Cruz against Keenan Carbajal on the Thurman Barrios undercard. Leo, that was <laughs> that was not good. I mean, like, dude, you got to turn like 
Leo doesn't fight in first gear. Like there are def definitely fighters that are first gear fighters. He fights in like third or fourth gear, which is a high work rate. It's like a lot of action, but like, dude, you gotta be able to turn it on. You gotta be able to like just get a guy out of there. We don't want to see you land 900 punches on a guy and not hurt him or add any drama. So that was. Is there any room for Teofimo Sandor on the nomination list? Ooh. Yeah, toss him in there. Toss them <laughs> both on there. It tossed them both. You, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are going to toss this one out there, and I'm going to shut all of you down right now. George Cambosos does not belong on this list. The reason for that is if you expected that guy to win a round and he did not, that is your mistake. You deserve to be on this list because George Cambosos was never going to win a round against Devin Haney. And anyone who had ever watched George Cambosos' career prior to that fight should have known he has no chance against Devin Haney. And he didn't have a chance, and it played out exactly like that. Yeah, that, that was. He had no, no, no real path to victory other than like catching Devin Haney was just like a lucky bomb, which probably wasn't, it's not even, can't count on that. So, uh, I have some other ones that I, that I can't say that are Patreon pod only because disappointing performances or other awards. Dis well, both, but disappointing performances, but it's not necessarily fighting, which is why I won't say it here. But uh, there are definitely some other disappointing things that happened this year that, um, yeah, they're going to have to go on Patreon because I'm not going to get, um, yeah, I'm not going to get into that here. All right, next up is the most surprising performances. I, I feel like we should be in agreement that it's Hector Garcia, but I'm not sure which direction you're going to go with it. Well, I think beating Chris Colbert's ass. <laughs> not only Chris Colbert's ass, but the, the kid from uh, Golden Boy, too. I'm going to only pick one, though, because, okay. and I think it's the Colbert fight, because I think after that Colbert fight, I think he should have put everyone on notice that I could fight. And so the Gutierrez fight was a good performance from Garcia, but not surprising. I think the reason why the Hector or um, the Colbert performance was so surprising is, I mean, it's not even that he beat him, because that would just be an upset, and we get upsets all the time. It's that he came out so quick and dropped him and, like, asserted that, like, you can't fuck with me. And then proceeded to just physically and mentally defeat Chris Colbert over the course of that fight. But so much so that, you know, shit-talking Chris Colbert, who's, like, never not criticized someone better than him, had nothing to say at the end of that fight. And that was a hell of a performance from Hector Garcia. To me, that was the most surprising performance of the year. Agree with that one. Got to. Um, you have any other nominees? Um, I like. Let's see. So I I like your nominees. Like I needed a little help on this category. So we had Laywood, Roley, Anderson Silva, hey. Denzel Bentley, and Joe Joyce. <laughs> So Lee Wood, um, I mean, that one goes without saying. Um, I think if you watch that fight with Michael Conlon, Lee Wood pulls a knockout out of his ass. It's just surprising in many, many ways. I think Roley putting up a lot better fight against Tank than people realize. 
Um, and some people even going so far, yeah, I'm not even going to entertain it, but um, I think Roly did a, a really good job in like, um, you know, proving that while he may not be as good as Tank, he's still a tricky fighter at worst. Um, Anderson Silva did pretty well against Jake Paul. Like Jake Paul needed a knockdown in order to like make sure he won that fight. Denzel Bentley against John Beck. I mean, John Beck. John Beck is an interesting one because, like, you know, he is a guy that over the course of the year, I feel like his stock went up the most and then dropped the most. I don't know how he would range or I guess you could say the, the, the most amount of movement in ter terms of somebody's stock over the course of the year. He had, like, that dude was basically Bitcoin, like, went up and went down. <laughs> and, um, but Bentley, you know, de deserves a lot of credit for being really tough in that matchup. So, um, and, and and not going away, and even going so far as like steal rounds that he had no business stealing. And then Joe Joyce, I mean, Joe Joyce in that Joseph Parker fight. I mean, I think most people thought that that was going to be a somewhat even fight. It was a good matchup for Joyce, and Parker could even beat him. And even if you thought that Joyce was going to win that fight. The way Joe Joyce just completely dominates that fight and like brutalizes Joseph Parker into stoppage, that was still pretty shocking to me. I don't know. I wasn't like I had Joyce by stoppage, so I I don't know. Yeah, I think you did. You're one of the few people that I think was just super confident that Joe Joyce was going to smoke. You know what Joseph it is Parker. like with that particular fight? Like I, I don't because what that was Joe Park Joseph Parker's first time getting stopped. I think right. Yeah. Who did he fight before? It was uh. Uh, not dealing with Chisora, right? Um, I th don't think so. I think he f had fought. Um, I think he fought somebody else. I think he did. Oh no, it was Chisora. Yeah. So in the Chisora fight, I just didn't see like the spark in um Joseph Parker necessary to stand up to like what Joe Joyce brings. Like, like you know, make fun of Joe Joyce if you want. He's slow or whatever, but like. Yeah, dude is like, like the juggernaut is probably the most fitting nickname of any boxer. Like, dude is just very consistent at what he does, and he'll keep coming with the same technique. Pause. And so, <laughs> I don't know. I just, to me, that one was easy to see. But um, not knocking your nominee. Uh, there are a lot of surprising performances, but those are the ones that I think really stuck out to me. Um, what do you think was the best fuck up? Who gets the, which network? Gets the award for uh, best fuck up. <laughs> I'm bad because I thought of this one. I couldn't even think of like a, I couldn't give out the award. Like you have one that's actually great. And I was like so mad you thought of this. I didn't remember this at all. Well, I have like, I keep like, mm, how do I? To be honest, like I have one now that I think about it. I'm going to just say it. If we get Tank and Ryan. The zone wanting to be included by just being a place to buy the pay-per-view is like comic is like comical to me. Like for, for Joe Markowski to like go on Twitter and say, like, oh, we can't make this fight unless we work as a partnership. And like that's what they get out of it, is like it's so stupid that it's funny to me. So I'm gonna give that the award, even though the fight will be next year. Um, so mine goes to Fox 
and this is literally on the first day of the year on that New Year's Day card for Luis Ortiz and, and Charles Martin. Uh, mine is on Fox showing Riddick Bowe in attendance, and the guy that they were showing was not Riddick Bowe. And like they held the camera on the guy for a long time, and they didn't. No one, I guess, no one knew. I guess it was New Year's Day, and they had like a skeleton crew, but like no one knew that that was not Riddick Bowe. And yet we were just <laughs> led to believe Riddick Bowe was in attendance, just staring off into the abyss. And not that you know Riddick Bowe would be staring off into the abyss, you know, given the rough and tumble career that he had. That would not be shocking. But um, but yeah, I thought um, that would be uh the. I didn't want to. Yeah, I guess there's like other things about like full on network stuff. You know, the 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 whole tank Ryan Garcia network negotiations certainly. Um, BLK Prime actually even existing should probably win this award. But like you know, I to me the thing that I'm gonna remember forever is Riddick Bow and whoever the hell that guy was. Just that <laughs> random poor guy who was just in attendance at the event, just uh, billed as Riddick Bow incorrectly. Um, all right, best ring gear. Who gets the award? I love Charlo's gear versus Castano. You a fan of Brown, huh? Charlo is like his ring gear as of late has been is just underrated in general. Like whoever does his little fits are like they're super on point. He doesn't have like he's not big on like having like like the crazy tassels because like boots has the tassels every once in a while mm -hmm. or like the mario barrios like 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 mexican aztec warrior trunks where like the sides are kind of like slid out you, you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah yeah keith thurman had those yeah keith wears those joints i'm not really a fan of those but whatever like you know you do what you do charlo to me has been consistent with the firing gear so he gets the nod this year i think it also had like I don't know if it was this one or the one in the first Castaño fight, but like it actually had like the fur on it. Um, I think it was this one. Let me let me let me pull that joint back I, up. I, I was looking at it earlier, that. but um, I I, I th those came to mind for me, but they weren't what I went with. I went with whatever the fuck Chris Colbert was wearing when he fought Hector Garcia. <laughs> Um, if you guys don't remember, let me refresh your memory. Chris Colbert wore this like multicolored, uh, I don't even know what to describe this. They're like puzzle pieces and they were all yeah. different colors. I think it was for like a cause, but I don't care. Um, he, his hair was blue and he even had like the print on his gloves. So his gloves were just like just puzzle pieces of various like primary colors. Um, and he got smoked in them. And it was also like the, 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 I don't know, the Barrios, Keith Thurman, like split dress type of, um, trunks. That's what wins because it, it was so bad that it was good. And like Showtime even <laughs> had to do like when they showed like, you know, what color trunks each guy's wearing, they had like all the color, like little puzzle piece there. It looks stupid. Other ones I just want to mention though, um, Tank's gear against Roly was super clean. Like if I had to wear some, like you know, if I get my wish and I get to fight Deontay someday, I would probably wear something similar to what Tank wore against Roly. I thought Michelle Rivera this past weekend 
those, you know, even in defeat, those trunks were super clean. It was like a modern take on Ollie's gear from the past, and it was really nice. <laughs> and I do want to toss out that I've always liked Katie Taylor's gear. She always wears basically the same thing, but um, it, it just kind of has built her brand of like who she is. And I liked, I, I always like her gear, and I liked it again. Good picks. Good picks. Okay, right. I, I like this. I like this question. I think this is a good one because it's like it's. There's a lot of room for different picks. And so best storyline of the year. You want to go first or? You can go. Okay, so my pick is women's boxing this year. Wow. I mean, it's not really like. Wow. For this long guy. Totally listen, out of character. Yeah, hey, man. <laughs> hey. Growth. You got to give props. Growth. You deserve props. Now, there isn't one particular person, right, that gets, like, the props for, like, making it all happen. But, like, women's boxing traditionally is garbage. And this is, this is not to disrespect, but, like, there's usually not good fights. They're not in front of a lot of people. There might be, like, one good girl and, like, it's, like, whatever. Who cares? She's not fighting anyone. This year has de delivered some pretty, like, legit interesting fights. Serrano versus Taylor was, like, legit interesting. Uh, Meyer versus Bumgarner, legit interesting. Um, Clarissa Shields versus what's her name? Uh, Savannah Marshall. Savannah Marshall was legit interesting. And so, like, shout to the girls. They did it this year. And hopefully, it keeps up. I'm not mad at these kinds of women's fights. That's my, that's my pick. That's a good pick. I almost feel like I shouldn't give my pick because uh, we should savor the moment where Lex is like <laughs> out here, you know, giving a uh, I don't I don't even know how to describe it. That was, that was a good bit good pick from you. I didn't think of it, um, but I actually think one hundred percent it is true that that is one of the big storylines of the year. I actually kind of had a hot take about this that was like I. I I wonder if it's peaked and um, we maybe got too many of the like really crucial fights too fast. And like, I don't know, like it, it feels like next year might be a really down year because like, you know, the big fights to make have already all happened in really in a pretty short time frame. Um, well, I mean, I think if we're, if we're talking about women's boxing, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you run back the Clarissa fight the only thing that kind of sucks is you can't, like Car Clarissa won, so you probably don't do it in the UK again. So you lose the big crowd, but it's still it's still compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, you run back Katie Taylor and Serrano, but do it in Ireland, right? If they can, yeah. If they can, but that that's the thing is like they weren't allowed. Katie Taylor wasn't fighting back home, and this would be like her homecoming, right? Mm -hmm. So I imagine that'd be pretty lit. So I mean, like, there's two fights. Um, I think Bumgarner is in a very unique position because she's one of the few female boxers that's like legit attractive. Like, if she has Excuse nothing me? to do with, huh? Excuse me, come again. I'm just, I'm keeping it real. No one <laughs> asked you to keep it that real. <laughs> Listen, this is this all due respect. Anyone, just being honest, we here for that. Anyone hold on, hold on. Some people think that Michaela Mayer's like you know. Not me, but some people. But, but Michaela Mayer's like pretty too. 
But Bum, like, yo, listen, when that fight was going on, the timeline was was cracking with all types of Bum Gardner pictures, and they were not of her boxing. Send them to like me, guys. Modeling pictures I don't believe off them. The gram. Like, people were definitely open. So I feel like whoever she fights again, people might just be tuning off the strength of that alone. And I think in women's sports, like, this, that, that element matters a little bit, especially in combat sports, because it's mostly guys watching. Just saying. If you uh, send me those pictures, I don't believe them, guys. What? To my, hold up, hold up. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We gonna, we gonna, we, no, 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 don't we, get yourself distracted. We we got a podcast to do here. Well, while you're while you're going over your nomination, and by the uh, no, go over your your pick because I don't want to. I have one more pick nomination Ooh. nominee. So for me, the best storyline of the year is Con Brook finally happening, and not only that. It was actually a great, great fight that completely lived up to all the hype uh, of and the hoopla of that fight over the past decade or so. Um, you know, I, I you, you, if you've been a boxing fan for a while, you, you're <clears throat> well familiar with both of these guys, and so it was like really, um, like I was really invested in it. Even at that point, you know, the, the, the juncture that it actually happened. Um, but yeah, I definitely was totally like, I was invested in that fight completely. And for it to finally happen, the way it played out, I mean, like, that to me is the storyline of the year. I mean, that was like, it's so funny because, like, I mean, maybe it was Eddie Hearn that was hating on it. It's like, dude, like, certain shit doesn't need to be hated on. And I don't know, maybe there were, like, people on boxing Twitter hating on that. When that fight happened, I was pretty excited. Like, I, I don't, it, it doesn't have to be two guys in their prime all the time. Like, there was a big compelling story, and people showed up for it. Sometimes that's enough. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, look, there are a bunch of other great storylines of the year, some of which are not, like, great stories i mean like you know if you think of um you know the whole terrence crawford errol spence negotiations and all of that that certainly is one of the storylines of the year um i guess you could say canelo golovkin or canelo losing to bivol certainly those are like storylines worthy of being at the top um you can think of like deontay wilder returning things like that but to me the um i think the one that i think you know we saw the beginning middle and end of it or or we got the conclusion at least of it this year i got to give it to con and brook yeah one of my other nominees was just like Bivol's year yeah i mean this guy would like you know he could have won maybe like like got who gained the most momentum and profile status but like he doesn't care about that i think it was good a great year for him because Obviously, he beat Canelo. Obviously, he beat Zerto. He went from, like, no one caring about him to people respecting him and appreciating who he is. Because he's not really, like, this big vocal guy. He just seems like a pretty, like, basic dude that's, like, funny in his own little ways. And it, that's cool, too, you know? Um, I think another one could maybe be, like, you know, just throwing other storylines out there. At least, well, this wasn't, like, big, big, but, like, you know, Bam Rodriguez is a hardcore storyline um, going essentially from zero to hero over the course of the year. That definitely, 
Actually, I don't know if it was all this year. I, I don't know if it might have started earlier last year. Um, but Bam's rise, and especially given the landscape of the division, I think um, that's certainly one. You know, another one I think is like Floyd doing these exhibitions, and these exhibitions actually doing big. Well, I don't know if they're doing big business, but they're at least really entertaining to watch. I think it's also led to like Manny Pacquiao getting into it. That's um. I think that deserves recognition. He is a nominee. Couldn't pick pick as a winner, but I feel it. You got something in your inbox. Your inbox. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> um, I guess one. You know, I'm gonna take it back. Actually, the storyline of the year I just remembered, and I can't believe I totally forgot. Um, because I really didn't want to talk about this, but like MTK dissolving Daniel Kinahan being on the no-fly list and now sanctioned by the United States government. A lot of, you know, things disappearing and popping up under new names, certain fighters not able to travel into the U.S. That is the storyline of the year. And it's actually um, fitting that I forgot it, but like why it's the storyline of the year and why it matters is because of how the media has covered it or not covered it really you know they've completely attempted to kind of sweep it under the rug there's been a couple of writers who we'll talk about in a second who haven't and have not shied away from it but i mean that is the storyline of the year and it, it's a cloud that hovers over a lot of things like tyson fury i mean like why is tyson fury not fighting in the u.s or why is Regis progress suddenly got random promoters bidding on his fights that we've never fucking heard of that have literally could probably not prove how they were able to afford the purse money that they paid for a purse bid. Um, that's the storyline of the year. And like um, getting these drug dealers out of the sport, that should be uh, an interesting story to watch in 2023 or the Ooh, complicity. You got, you, got a little, you got a little ahead of ourselves. Well, I, I, I don't know that I've, I guess I don't know if I'd pick that. But anyway, the next award is the storyline that's starting to develop in 2022 that is going to be a big deal in 2023. Or, I mean, like, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on this, actually. But what do you think? So, man, like, you spoke so wonderfully about the Daniel Kinahan situation. And I was, like, torn between that and... The, the PBC situation with Fox. Um, you know, you spoke a bunch on Kinahan, so I'll, like, leave that where it is. Um, regarding PBC and Fox, uh, you know, it's been, I think, I don't, I don't want to say controversial, but some people love Fox. Some people hate the Fox partnership. I love the Fox partnership. I think it's the best in boxing. I love their promos. I love, like, the way they stack the cards. I love that you get like three or four card or fights on FS1, then Fox. I'm not mad that they do a bunch of pay-per-views. I love everything about the announcing crew, obviously, except for uh, Brian Kenny, who's, who's you know, whatever. Um, and I would like it if they stayed around. And if they're not around, you know, it creates a weird predicament for PBC because it's like you have all these fighters can they go all on Showtime? Like, that would be tricky. 
And so I think that's like a, a big story to look out for. But again, that's 50-50 split with the Daniel Kinahan thing. Um, you know, that's another interesting thing. I could talk for probably an hour straight on like the landscape of boxing, broadcasting and all that stuff. Anybody who knows me knows that like, you know, I'm really into like the whole media, uh, probably because I work in it, but um, the whole media landscape and all this stuff. Um, and so it's, you know, bigger than just boxing and PPC and stuff, but it's really interesting to see what Fox is going to become in 2023 and really like the evolution of media and how, I mean, long-term, a lot of it's just going to wind up all merging together. But anyway, um, another, well, I, you know, just to kind of keep it on a smaller scale, not really think about it that big, um, Joe Joyce getting a title shot. Like, I want to believe that 2023 is going to be his year, but just looking at the way things are shaking out, uh, I, I actually can see a scenario where our boy Joe Joyce in the next 12 months still will not have received his heavyweight title shot, which he absolutely deserves. Interims don't count. I know that's, that's just not as big as, you know, the Daniel Kinahan thing. Or... um. I have a couple runner-ups. Let me share my nominees. I want to see what you think, what the people think. So, top rank versus Teofimo. I think it's a big, like, depending on which way that goes, we're looking at a 30 for 30, okay? Um, Canelo's future, you know, he has maybe one or two fights left that are, like, could be relevant at all. What happens after that? Like, are we at another bidding war? Does he just go straight back to the zone? Think it's another big story. Um, the zone's future, um, you know, pretty much hinges on Canelo. If Canelo doesn't stick around, what's the point of the zone sticking around? At least in America. And lastly, and you'll be able to talk this a bit better than I can, but the future of UK boxing. Um, it had a huge jolt on the back of AJ and Kinahan and both are kind of suffering right now. What do they look like in 2023? I don't know. And so those are my nominees. (sighs) Um, I think that the UK scene is really interesting. That is something that I've been watching, but I think it's actually been really interesting this year. Um, there have been a lot of highs and lows and most of the highs have not involved matchroom. And I think matchrooms 2023 is really interesting because like through, through no, well, through, it's their own fault, but they put their backs against the wall by doubling down on the zone and leaving sky behind. And it's completely tanked their business. And for several years, Hearn focused on and, and failed in building like a real U.S. stronghold. And at the same time that he was doing that, completely neglected the U.K., which depleted the prospect pool over there, allowed other parties like MTK and Frank Warren and Boxer, who's now popped up, to either take guys or sign guys away. And so the attempt at rebuilding does not happen quickly. And so this could be a very rough year for them. And like from a U.S. perspective, you know, I I don't know how much this actually matters, what I'm saying. But from a U.S. perspective, at least, 
the UK scene is largely seen through the lens of how Matchroom is doing, whether or not Matchroom is the leader in the UK, which I believe they no longer are. And so that is an interesting storyline that we'll see develop over the next uh, year for sure. Um, I, I really can't think of any other ones though. Um, but we could literally do a whole podcast on this. If I actually sit down and think, I can come up with a bunch of them. I actually think we should. Uh, just sort of as like a prediction podcast. Um, I, I feel like we should save the next one for last because I think that's the funnest one. So let's just quickly throw out who was our best boxing writer, newsbreaker, content creator of the year. I'm a little biased here because it's my guy. We we DM from time to time, but Al Dawson. Um, I really like the job he does because he kind of keeps his nose out of the politics as much as possible and just focuses on like the fights, young prospects. And I think keeping out of the politics is just better that way. You know, you're a writer. You don't want to pick sides. You don't want to like lead fans on to think one thing or the other. And uh, I appreciate the work that he does. Runner up, uh, Jake Donovan. Um, Jake does his thing too. And he's my guy too. Not as much as Al, but (laughs) (laughs) shout to both of them. They Uh, both cook, so. I'll only agree with one of yours, and that is um, Alan Dawson. I think Alan is doing something that is quickly, and I think Corey does it too, uh, so they're both trying to still tell stories, you know, as a writer, they're trying to create, you know, work that enhances your understanding of the sport or of the fighters. So like they're trying to tell the stories of these, of these guys, you know, and you know, whether it's Alan writing about the new Mayweather prospects or the top ranked prospects that just got signed or recounting, going to somebody's gym, Corey talking about, you know, how things compare historically to things. These are two guys that um, both, you know, full disclosure, I'm friends with both of them, I would say. And, you know, but I'm also friends with other guys in in, in the boxing. But I think these two guys are the last of a dying breed where most other people are just writing articles based off of an interview a fighter did on a fucking Instagram Live or a Reddit AMA or um, some Ellie Secback bombardment interview where a camera was just stuck in their face. <laughs> bombardment. That and, and I'm gonna so, say bombardment again, <laughs> bro. This as we've been talking, he's sent me numerous pictures of Bumgarner. Um, so yeah, so I, I just want to point out those. And Corey's come on the podcast actually, so you know he's come on actually a couple of times. So yeah, I just want to throw that out there too. Um, in terms of content creator, I do want to spotlight Broadway Joel and his Dominican boxing channel doing really good interviews. I think he's a guy that asks good questions to fighters and I don't want to say puts them on the spot, but really the questions are just as important um, in terms of like, you know, you could get your standard uh, athlete responses. You know, I, I tried my best. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try harder next time. Things like that. Or you can actually get like an actual insightful answer. And a lot of times the question has something to do with that. And then also the way you can, you know, make fighters feel comfortable and stuff like that in order to get those responses. And I think he does a good job with that. So um, I would recommend you guys subscribe to his channel, support that, whatever. 
I'm trying to think if there's other podcasts that I would want to throw out there to support. Um, but I don't think so. No one that actually like I feel like helping. You know, there's a podcast that <laughs> I do. You know, I feel like I should shout out, but they're a bigger podcast than ours, so I'm not trying to help them out. They should be helping us out as the the smaller. But anyway. That is um, the best, I guess, you know, writer, newsbreaker, whatever. Let's get to our final one. We're not doing this. I, I think you put baddest girlfriend of the year. That's what that meant. We're not yeah. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna <clears throat> we're gonna do best derailment in 2022. So it's funny because you sent me nominations, and I still. You didn't have my pick. Wow. I think okay. it's cool. So I got to go with AJ and Usyk, man. Like, I think AJ. But he lost to him yeah, last year. Yeah, but they had the rematch clause. Like, AJ wasn't completely out of there. Like, you have good picks. You have great picks, actually. But, like, Usyk pretty much, like, shut the door on the idea of what AJ was like, that is completely like if he had beat Usyk, it's like, okay, whatever. He had an off night. He's back. Just like against Andy. Nah, lost twice in a row. He's way out of the loop on undis like, and on any belts. And it's kind of just like, like, what? like, sure. He could get a wilder fight, maybe a fury fight, but like, where does he really go from here? Cause neither of those are happening soon. In my opinion. And so I got to pick. I got to pick AJ against Usyk. Usyk. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I was. I, I answered the question more so from the perspective of prospect derailment. Or like fighters. You know undefeated fighters losing. So. My number one pick was Chris Colbert. I mean like. It, it's one thing to lose. And like. Still look like you tried to win the fight. Or lose and look like you were just outgunned. Frank Martin and, and Michelle Rivera. Good example of like a guy who, you just a little outgunned, Michelle Rivera. Chris Colbert got derailed. Like he looked like he had no clue what he was supposed to be doing in that ring. Looked terrible. 100% um, Chris Colbert was derailed as a guy who people thought, oh, okay, you know, this is a guy that would be great to fight a Shakur or a tank or something further down the line. At this point, it's like, nah, dude, no one wants to see you. I mean, I, I'm all 100% here, and this goes for any all of these guys. I'm here for the rebuild and 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 the uh, I don't know what the word is like the redemption arc that they could all have, but um, I'm not expecting it from any of them. So Chris Colbert, um, then there's Blair Cobbs. Now, a derailment implies that he was going somewhere. But for Blair Cobbs, um, he was not going anywhere, but still talked himself into people believing that he was going somewhere, and it went terribly. So Blair Cobbs, definitely on the list. Rio, Jose Valenzuela. Um, this is one of the derailments that was like, you technically did not need to get derailed. It just so happened that you know the replacement opponent for your fight just had to be somebody that was not a great matchup for you and he was derailed. I think of of the guys like he's most likely to 
I think he has a good shot at rebuilding, but um, it's still really tough given that the level that he's probably going to wind up back at really quickly. And then Julio Cesar Martinez, who looked awful against Roman Gonzalez. Like it, like basically he, he, the moment he got in there with somebody who can box, it just shows like, Oh yeah, he's very one dimensional. Um, not much to his game. So those are my best derailments of 2022. Any others that you want to toss out there? No, I mean, Chris Colbert is probably the best pick, honestly. I just had to get at Joshua real quick. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, those are our our awards. I hope, you know, we jog some of your memory of things that happened this year. Um, Either, you know, giving you, you know, bringing it back to the forefront or, you know, bringing something up made you think of something else. If you have other picks, I definitely want to hear them. Get at the chat. Um, The way you get access to the chat Go to patreon.com slash sundaypuncher, sign up, $1. If you like to support, if you want to support, it's Christmas. Maybe you, you know, you do want to support us, or maybe you just, or you don't have to, it's Christmas. So, like, I'm not expecting you to. Maybe you need some content over the break, and you want to look back at the archives, hundreds of episodes there for you to take a look at. Um, And you want to get access to the chat, you know, maybe you got some time off, you want to talk some boxing with the fellas, Uh, that's something you can do. You can get in for as low as one dollar. You can pay whatever you want, but you can get in for a dollar if that's what you would like to do. But again, um, we appreciate you listening. I hope you guys got your awards. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we will be back maybe next week. I don't know. 